This is a One and All Media podcast. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Well, we're about to continue our journey through the scriptures in our series titled The Story, where we're going to be looking at all the major accounts in the Bible. This is Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. And in this episode, Pastor Jeff is continuing talking about the existence of God, miracles, and the tale of the Israelites after God rescued them from Egyptian slavery. This is the second part of the message. So if you need to catch up, you can find the first part of this message wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines. Here's Pastor Jeff now to finish the rest of today's message. Number one, we obey because within the commands, we discover deliverance. Number two, we obey that we might become God's special treasure. Verse five, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of the nations, you will be my treasured possession. When I first started dating my wife, Robin, I learned everything I could about her because man is on his best behavior before the marriage. I mean, I did research because I wanted to please her, right? I learned that her favorite music group was Toto. So you young people are like, Toto, what? 80s group. All good music came from the 80s. Everybody knows that. Toto, because they did a song called Africa, and she was raised in Africa, so she loved Toto. I learned that she loves animals. Man, that was the hardest part about dating Robin. I mean, even today, there's an iguana in my house. Yeah, in my shower, in my bed. I mean, it, uh, don't get me started. But anyway, my, my wife loves dogs, cats. She loves horses. Here's a picture of Robin with her horse. I guess she was about 10 or 12 years old here in, Zim, in Zambia, in the copper belt of Zambia, in Dola. I learned very quickly that you don't say anything bad about her father. Don't do that. And you don't say anything bad about her sister. I mean, she can say things about her sister, but you don't dare say anything. Two months after Robin and I were dating, her sister walks up to me and says, hey, I've been watching you, Jeff, for the last two months, and I've decided that she can keep you. You know, I want to say, what? I don't even, I mean, you're the ugly one. Why do I care what you think? I mean, <laughs> I just told you what I was thinking. I didn't say that was what I was thinking back then. Back then. See, I didn't say that. Okay. I told you I was going to be honest. When, when I started to fall in love with Robin, I researched everything about her, what pleases her, what delights her. And then I just wanted to give it without anything expecting in return. In fact, this is what I've grown to know over 27 years of marriage now, that in real love, you place your happiness and joy into the hands of the other person's happiness and joy. The more in love you get, the more what makes you happy and joyful is when they're happy and joyful. So my wife asked me to go on a horse ride two months into our marriage in the mountains of Inyanga in Zimbabwe. I've never ridden a horse, but I was not going to tell her that. Big mistake. I just thought, sure, I'll go on this horse ride. How can it be? You just sit there and ride. No, it's different than that. Thank God I was in the inn so that nobody could see me. Because then she says, let's gallop. And I'm over here like this. And I'm going like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm scared to death. Okay. 
but I rode the horse. I don't like, my wife still loves horses. I do not like the way my wife smells when she comes home from riding her horse. I, I don't, honestly. I don't like the way she smells when she goes to the barn and cleans up all the horse stuff. I don't like that either. But I can tell you this, when I come home in the evening after a long day of work and I say, sweetheart, what did you do today? And she says, I rode my horse. It brings me such joy and delight to know that she had a good day. And I say to her, Robin, you raised two wonderful kids. I mean, I know you're responsible. Believe me, in spite of me, you did a great job. We got empty nests now. They're out doing their... I said, Robin, ride your horse every day if you want to ride it. Ride it every day. Isn't that weird how that happens? I brought you out on eagle's wings. Trust me. But Moses, this is a love relationship. I am taking... Listen now, I am taking you out of Egypt, into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, because I love you. You are my people, and I want to give you the delights and joy of your heart. But Moses, I want you and the people to know what it is that delights my heart too. Anytime you tell the truth when you're tempted to lie, anytime you remain content when you're tempted to covet your neighbor's stuff, Anytime you're faithful to your wife when you're tempted not to be. Faithful to your husband when you're tempted not to be. Anytime that you remember the Lord's day and keep it holy when you'd rather be doing something else. Anytime that you follow any of these precepts. Anytime you keep God first. Anytime you have no other idols. Anytime your whole allegiance is with God. And when you're asked for your allegiance to be divided, you say, no, my ultimate allegiance is with God and whatever he requires, that's what I will do. God is saying to Moses, I know what delights your heart, a land flowing with milk and honey. I want you to know what delights mine, these precepts. And every time you do them, my heart races a little faster. My pulse beats a little, and I am so proud. See, that's why you know if you really love God or not. See, if you're just going up to the mountain and saying, look, God, what I have done, I've gone to church three weeks in a row, bless me. And then he blesses you, and I don't see you again for about another two years until your life gets bad again. You're still relating to God on an antiquated basis. You still don't know what it is for love and relationship. He says in verse 5, Then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. It's the Hebrew word used for a king's treasure room. When kings and princes and Queens would visit each other. They hoped to bring a gift that was so precious that it would earn the right to go into the treasure room of the king. Do you know what he's saying here? I took my family in January to the Tower of London. Oh, yeah. We marched through all of those treasures, but the most prized treasure is what? The crown jewels. And people will stand in line for hours drinking hot coffee and cocoa. I mean, it's freezing in London in January, just free, but everybody stands in line because I got to see the most prized possession. God says, You don't keep these laws to earn salvation. You don't keep those laws. I delivered you first. You're already delivered. Here's why you keep them because you know it delights my heart. Because I know the world will be a better place and your life will be a better life. That makes me smile. And I will take you and I'll put you in my treasured room. And I will do a tour with the angels and say, have you considered my servant Jeff? That's why I believe that Job was the first one to enter. Have you considered my servant Job? Blameless, righteous. It doesn't mean he was perfect. It just meant that his heart was a heart that pursued God. Can I ask you the first question? Your life, do you 
have an incredible passion to delight the heart of God by the way that you live? If no, then you're still relating to him on an antiquated way. You've not moved over to understand this is a love relationship between you and God. We obey because within the commands we discover deliverance. We obey to delight the heart of God and to become God's special treasure. And finally, we obey that we might be God's new radical community in the world. Verse 5, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What is he saying? Moses, he says, I am creating an alternate city. I am creating a new city and a new people that their lives are going to be so different than everybody else's. They're going to look at you and say, man, look at these people. They are so different that people are going to be compelled into the new city. I'm going to have these new cities in every city on the planet. There's going to be cities all over the world, but within every city is going to be a new city, an alternate city that people who live by different rules. The Ten Commandments are not Ten precepts by which to earn God's favor or salvation, they are a fundamental outline for a radically new community, a community that will be a holy nation set apart, different than everybody else. Is that you? Is that you? Is every part of your life, your economic, your artistic, your family, the way you handle sex, money, and power, is to be totally different in the alternate city? God is creating a counterculture. Is that you? Is your life so different than everybody else's? I mean, you're just, you don't go the same places. You don't say the same things. You don't read the same stuff. You don't watch the same stuff. Your allegiance is with God and God alone. You don't have a plurality of allegiances. If you're ever asked to choose, you choose God. His name is sacred to you. And when you hear people use it in vain, you're not entertained by it. And you don't think it's funny because his name is right. It is good. It is sacred. You obey your parents. You do not murder. You're faithful to your husband. You're faithful to your wife. You don't take what doesn't belong to you and then rationalize it. You will not lie, bear false witness, and you don't lust after your neighbor's things. The Ten Commandments are an outline for a fundamentally, radically different new community. You know what that means? It means that it really doesn't matter what happens out there as much as it matters what happens in here. Now, I don't, I don't mean that we, we should not care about the external world. We should. We, we're, we're called to be, uh, be people of love and compassion and to fight injustice. That's us. But just because the city outside our city bans prayer in schools doesn't mean we stop praying in schools. It doesn't matter what kind of law they pass. You can still teach your children to pray in schools. You close your eyes and say whatever you want. Come on. Besides, I've said this a thousand times, as long as there are tests, there will always be prayer in schools. <laughs> if the city outside promotes same-sex marriage, we don't get all bothered by that. We just keep upholding the biblical institution of marriage, and we respond with love and grace to those who disagree. If the city outside becomes violent with people that they disagree with, we don't become violent when people disagree with us. We just keep loving, showing compassion, showing mercy. We hold our line and stand our ground, but we do it in love. Do you want me to tell you how distinct this new city was in ancient civilization? Let me give you a few keys here. Sex. This is the first culture, Moses' day, through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, 
This was the first culture in the world where adultery was wrong for both men and women. In the ancient civilized world, it was only wrong for men. God comes along and says, no, this is a nation of equality. My new city has equality. You're faithful both ways. It was the first culture where daughters could inherit the family inheritance as well as sons. Equality. Equality. A new kind of community. What about money? In this new community, they gave 10% of everything they had to the work of the priesthood and service. But if you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, what you will find out is actually every third year, they gave an additional offering to make sure there was no poor among them. So that if you prorate it, every Israelite gave 23% of his income to the work of ministry and to helping the poor. In fact, it's going to shock you, but in God's new community, he always intended it that there would be no poverty among them. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4, he says this, however, there needs to be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all the commands I'm giving to you. (laughs) You know what God is saying? There's a way that there'll be no poor among you if you do what I tell you to do. I mean, It's amazing. We don't want to do what God tells us to do, but we want everything to work out fine. God says, there's a way to have health, wealth. There's a way to live a godly life. There's a way if you follow the commands of Scripture. What about power? Do you know in the old law? Do you know how you're supposed to treat aliens, outsiders, and immigrants? It's going to shock some of you. Do you know what the the Christian call his new community? You know how we're supposed to treat aliens, outsiders, and immigrants? The Old Testament says, here's how you give them all the rights and privileges you have. No questions asked. Why? Because remember what your life was like when you were in Egypt. Tim Keller says, sex, money, and power are used in God's city in non-destructive, non-addictive, non-exploitative ways. In other words, fundamentally different to the ways they are used in the human city. Okay, this is the end. He brings them to the foot of the mountain, calls Moses up, and he says, Moses, you tell them I brought them out on eagle's wings. I'm trustworthy. They can trust me in these precepts. If they live by them, what will happen in their lives? They will soar on wings like eagles. You tell them, Moses, that they'll be my treasured possessions, that they will do what delights my heart. And this is a love relationship. It's two ways, not just one-sided. I give you the delights of your heart. Here are the delights of mine. But Moses... Ultimately, you have to get the people to see that I'm creating a new city. One that will compel those on the outside to want to come in. But if our lives are not distinct in here, not only will we not compel, we will repel. Because we'll talk a good game of righteousness, but when we don't live it, man, they see us as a bunch of hypocrites. There ought to be some distinction in your lives. I'm not saying you'll be perfect, but surely as Christians, you wait till marriage before you sleep with your boyfriend. Surely in the new city. Because you, you, you respect the precepts of God. You want to delight his heart. You don't take what doesn't belong to you. You're faithful to your husband. You're faithful to your wife. JP, who read communion earlier, sharp mind, said, you know, Jeff, the problem with my generation is that we like to use this term more than any others. You shouldn't judge me. And he said, but our generation uses it different than yours. If you live in a town, and in that town it's against the law to rob a bank, which most of the time it is, and you go and rob the bank, 
And then you go before the judge and you say, judge, yeah, I robbed the bank, but I disagree with that law. I don't think it should be wrong. The judge will say, hey, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Lock him up. If I come to you or you come to me or we come to each other and we say, hey, Jeff, X, Y, Z is in your life and that's a violation of the precepts of God. I'm not judging you. I'm presenting you with the judgment God's already determined. <laughs> you say, well, what about taking the log out of your eye before the speck? Okay, all right. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I still take the speck out of yours. You just help me take the log out of mine. Judging you, the law's already been written. We're just presenting you with the judgment God has already given. So, sorry, if you're violating the precept of God, you're already judged. And it is a fearful thing to come under the judgment of the living God. In fact, he said in verse 6, You will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. I've got some friends who went to Texas recently. They went to the George Bush Museum, uh, which is a library, I believe, right? George Bush Library. And they said they enjoyed the tour, but... They came to a point when they saw a video where there was a group of presidents who were still living on the stage and the media were asking them a question, who's had the most influence on your life? And the first one to go was George Bush. And George Bush said, that's easy, Jesus Christ, which made it incredibly difficult for the other presidents. (laughs) Where do you go from there? Can you say that? Has he had the biggest impact on your life? You say yes. If I follow you around for the next 48 hours, would I notice that? By what you refuse to do, what you choose to do. You say, nobody's perfect. Yes, I know that. I know that. I look in the mirror every day. I got that. But there ought to be some semblance of distinction in your life in the new city. There's a book, and I close with this, by Marie Chapin. It's called The World Was Not Worthy. It's about a village in Yugoslavia. It's about the wrongs that are presented by the church over hundreds of years. You do realize we pastors know this. We know that the church has a littered history. We, we get that. We know it has a good history too. It's not fair to do one without the other. It's done so much good, but it's done some pretty bad too. It's used power and authority and God as a means to abuse people. There was a village in Yugoslavia that experienced that perhaps more intensely than many places in the world. There was an older man named Simmerman who was kind of the elderly or the elder leader of the village. And Yaakov was a young evangelist one day, came into the village. And he asked to meet with Zimmerman. And he said, Zimmerman, I want to talk to you about Jesus Christ. Zimmerman said, no way. I don't want to hear anything about Jesus Christ. I know what they're like. And he said, they wear those elaborate coats and caps and crosses signifying a heavenly commission, but their evil designs and lives I cannot ignore. Hear what he's saying? They look the part, but they're not the part. They look the part of heaven, but they're from hell. I lost my nephew because of them. Yaakov said, this is going to be a heart nut to crack. But he kept coming back week after week, month after month, loving the village, educating the village, giving clothes to those who needed it, giving food to those who were hungry. So Simmerman continued to give him an audience. And one day he said, Simmerman, I've got a story for you. He said, what's that? What if I stole your coat and your hat and I ran into the city and I robbed a bank and then I'm running away and the police come out and they see me, but they don't really see me. They think it's you because I've got your hat and your coat. So they come to your house and they say, Simon, you're under arrest for robbing the bank. And you say, but I didn't do it. And they say, ah, but we've got your coat and hat. Simon didn't like the analogy. He knew what it meant. Impostors are everywhere. Just because you wear a cross and a 
cloak and a gown and a hat of some sort doesn't mean that you're from heaven. But Yaakov kept coming back to the village. Just would not give up. Serving, loving, until finally one day in the book she writes, Simmerman could no longer deny the distinction. So he went to Yaakov and he said, Yaakov, how does one become a Christian? And she writes, Simmerman bent his knee on the soil with his head bowed and surrendered his life to Christ as he rose from his feet, wiping his tears. He embraced Yaakov and said, thank you for being in my life. And then he pointed to the heavens and whispered, you wear his coat very well. Is there a distinction in your life? Let me tell you something about heaven. In Revelation 20 and 21, it says that the new city will be coming down out of the heavens It describes it with the number 12 numerous times because the number 12 represents the people of God. 12 apostles, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel. We are the new 12, the people of God. That's why you see the number 144,000, right? Because it's multiples of 12 and 10. 10 is the name or the number for perfection. 12 is the number for people of God. What's he trying to say? All God's people will be in heaven. All God's people. But what makes us think that if we're not in the new city now, that we'd be in the new city then? If there's no distinction in our lives at all now, and we're not living by the precepts of God now, not perfectly, but that's our ambition, what makes us think that we, is the new city, the city that has been temporary now made eternal and it's coming down out of heaven and it's God's new city that is created amongst the cities of the world? Jesus said, you are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Your life is so compelling, they couldn't hide you even if they tried. And by the way, that's how I know that Jesus was from the south, because in the original language, it says, all you all. It does. It It says, all you all are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. It doesn't just say you, not individual. This is not an individual thing. This is part of a community. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Man, you're missing the point here. You're part of a community, a city within a city, a life of distinction. And God says, Moses, bring the people. Tell them I brought them out. They can trust me. Live by these precepts. They will delight my heart. And ultimately, they will be a city within a city so different. They'll be a light to the world. Man, God help us all. Father, I I praise you and I thank you for a powerful narrative. I ask you right now in Jesus' name that uh, our eyes would be open to the distinction that we're supposed to have in our lives through the power of your Spirit. Father, we know perfection is not possible this side of heaven. We know that. We know that we're not saved by our perfection. Thank God that we're not. We're saved by grace, that you delivered us first, and then you gave us the law. But Father, as we read through Scripture, it appears that one who has been saved has a natural passion to delight the heart of God. And when faced with a decision, chooses one God, one allegiance. And I pray for anybody in this room right now who's living a life that they know is in direct opposition to your precepts that they would repent before they leave this place today. 
And they would say, okay, this is where I've been. I am wounding the heart of God. I don't want to do it anymore. I pray that the rationalization that they've been telling themselves for years, they would see that that doesn't come from God. It comes from someplace else. Help us to be a people who trust in you. That you brought us out on eagle's wings and the, the one we trusted in the past, we can trust in the future. Give us pure hands and a clean heart, oh God. There are prayer in Jesus' name as you make us holy. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.